We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Beeler Tech. With a focus on building meaningful relationships for individuals and companies, Beeler Tech facilitates powerful connections and conversations, empowers with hands-on coaching and consulting, and amplifies with targeted exposure and messaging. In the digital advertising and media world, Beeler Tech is your connection to what's possible. Today joining us is Tia Cummings Hopkins, who's the SVP of Global Brand Marketing at Square. Let's jump in and get to know Tia. Tia, welcome. How are you? I am awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Tia, I got to tell you, you look fresh, rested. (laughs) I think you've been relaxed and relaxing. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about where you just came back from. Yeah, man, I'm tan too. You didn't, you didn't call that out. No, I'm oh, tan too. Um, <laughs> yes, I just got back from my honeymoon a couple of days ago in Bora Bora, so in mm. French Polynesia. It was amazing, very peaceful, great place to go if you really want to unplug. I do. That's basically what you do there. <laughs> yeah, so I highly recommend Bora Bora. It's not an active vacation kind of place. There's not like a ton of activities where you'd be running around. So. If you ever need to really get some uh, complete relaxation, I recommend Bora Bora. That's great to hear. And I think so many listening would love to do that and want to do that. So now they've got a place they can go to. So that's the bucket list. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're thrilled you're hanging out with us. Can't wait to talk about your great experience. You've worked for some tremendous, tremendous companies. And then I also want to talk to you a little bit about your experience and what you're able to share with others. You've got some great thoughts on career moves and how to sort of best position yourself for growth. But I want to ask you a little bit about you first. Can you tell us a little bit about Tia? Where did Tia grow up and where was Tia born and raised? Yeah. So Tia grew up a little bit all over the place. We moved around a lot with my dad's career. So I was born in DC, actually. My dad was working on his PhD at Howard at the time. All right. Another DC person. Love it. 202. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yes, that's where I was born. And we were there for about four years. And then when he graduated, moved to Atlanta for his first job out of grad school. And so lived in Atlanta for a few years. And then lived in Houston for a little bit and Cincinnati for a little bit and Virginia for a little bit. So I actually ended up graduating high school from Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia. And so when people ask where am I from, that's where I claim. So grew up there, the oldest of three. And my parents are no longer there. They kept moving every couple of years. You see a trend. I learned that from my father and I've kind of done the same, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Tia, you know, moving around like that, what are some things that you learn to kind of appreciate when you and your other your two siblings and the whole family unit is moving around? What are some things that you learn to kind of appreciate because of those changes? Because Virginia and D.C. is not the same as those places in Texas you mentioned. What do you learn to sort of appreciate? No, I love change. That's one of the things you learn to appreciate, right? And the differences in each of those places and the different types of people and meeting different types of people from different backgrounds and different cultures, you become very adaptable. I think when you grow up like Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. which I'm very, very appreciative of, you learn how to make friends 
and connect with people because you're kind of forced to do it a lot. But it's always yeah. interesting to me when I chat with people who they grew up in one town their whole lives and, you know, that's still their hometown. It's like, my God, I can't even imagine what that's like because I, I've moved around so much. And I think it's really helped me be successful even from a professional standpoint because of those skills that I learned as a kid. Yeah, that's fantastic. I want to ask you about that in a minute, because like I said, you work for tremendous companies, but all kind of different, which is great experience Mm -hmm. too. Tell us about what's happening at Square these days. What's it like being the SVP of global brand marketing at Square? And one other follow-up to that too. Tell us what it's like being there and what's going on. And tell us something kind of interesting about Square that maybe folks wouldn't know about. Just an interesting thing. Yeah, it is really, really cool being at Square. This is my first tech company, right? You look at my background and this is the one company that has one of these things and not like the other, Um, which is really great. And that's intentional on my part for coming here is I love new challenges and to do things that I've never done before. I feel like that's how I grow and I learn. And so being in the tech space and specifically the fintech space is just awesome because it's such a a high growth industry right now, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much going on. It's evolving so much. You think of Square, people think about, oh yeah, payments. And I remember how it started, the little white reader and Mm -hmm. helping people take a credit card who couldn't and how it's grown today to be this full ecosystem for you to run your business, businesses Mm -hmm. of all sizes, right? Mm -hmm. Not just small ones, but large enterprises. Yeah. I think that's something, honestly, that most people don't know about Square because they still think about us as, oh, yeah, the little white reader or the register to take payments and not, hey, this is an ecosystem. We have banking services, right? You can use Square for your business banking. And, you know, we have p- tools to help you manage your customers and loyalty, you know, and marketing tools that you can use and things to manage your staffing and everything that happens, you know, behind the scenes. So, that's, I think, the biggest misconception of Square is that they think we're smaller than what we've grown to be. But Very for me, cool. it's really awesome. And so that's really my challenge, right? So knowing you've got this brand that people think they know, but they don't really know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so how do I bring all my experience to bear to sort of change that and say, hey, you need to take another look at Square because you thought you knew us back then. We're a completely different company now. We're doing so many cool things. It's not just about our hardware, right? It's about all our software. It's about, you know, our acquisitions like Afterpay and how is that going to integrate when this whole buy now, pay later world. So it's super exciting for me as a marketer to come in and think about what does the brand of Square represent? What do we want to be? And that's kind of the work that I'm getting to do right now. And I think when you you mentioned sort of the things that that are happening, loyalty and like, you know, just uh, things that are always sort of changing. You've had a little bit of prep for that through your marketing career, which is kind of cool. And thinking about how that sort of weaves into this now, you know, I'm going to tell everyone uh, IHG, Intercontinental Hotels Group, right? Johnson & Johnson, right? Kellogg Corporation, L'Oreal, tremendous, tremendous companies that somewhere in the background have similar goals, right? But very different organizations. And so I imagine you're able to carry a lot of that forward into building upon like the success there, right? hundred percent. I think that's why they hired me. It's so funny when I got the call, like a re- the recruiter from Square reached out and said, hey, we'd love to talk to you about this role. I was like, why would you want to talk to me? I said, I have zero tech experience. Like, so what would you hope that I can bring? And they're like, well, no, you've got so much great brand experience and we need someone to help us build 
the brand of Square. Awesome. One company that Eric did not mention, but Tia, as you know, we've talked about before, one of my favorite companies, which is Walker and Company Brands, because they produce a lot of great products that I use from the clippers to now I'm using the soap and the deodorant, so on and so forth. And it's been tremendous to watch that company grow from being a consumer. And so I'd love for you to share some of your experiences of being on the inside and marketing that great brand as well. Oh, yeah, that was a ton of fun. So I had beauty experience and obviously CPG, but that was really my first time in multicultural beauty, which resonated for obvious reasons, right? I'm a Black woman and getting to work on a Black-founded brand for Black consumers was amazing, right? And so where you're bringing all of your expertise and skills and your passion together. So that was awesome. I think what I really, really loved about working at Walker and Company Brands and working on Bevel is we were very clear in our purpose and our mission was to support Black men. And it went beyond just the products that we were developing. So like you mentioned, Carl, like we launched, I launched all those new products that came out, right? Like, yes, the, yeah. the trimmer had been around for a while, but like the soap and the body wash was expanded into personal care. I got to launch all of those. And it's great to be able to say, hey, we're here to support you head to toe in your grooming. But the other thing that I got to do was really sort of say, how are we showing up? especially when our consumers are going through a hard time, right? I joined a few months before COVID and COVID had a huge impact on the Black community. I also joined right before the murder of George Floyd. And so that, you know, 2020 became this whole year of this racial reckoning and you're working on a brand for Black men. Okay, well, what are you going to do? And what are you going to say? to show that you're showing up for the community. And that was amazing to be able to say, hey, it's not just about marketing our products. It's about showing up and saying, this is what we stand for as a brand. And so some of the initiatives I got to do to like support mental health in the Black community, like putting your money where your mouth is and be able to do those types of things was phenomenal. And probably some of the work I'm most proud of in my entire career. Sometimes we have guests on the podcast and we talk about the last couple of years. And we talk about all these promises that companies have made and where they are. And we just recently had a guest on and we talked about like why companies made certain promises, but didn't actually follow through. I would love for you to touch on that a little bit, because obviously Bevel, the target audiences, as you said, is Black men with some of the products that they produce. But it seems like the mission and the vision was very clear and the purpose was very clear as well, too. Mm -hmm. And Eric and I like to talk a lot about sort of measuring your activities. Right. And I think the more and more companies can really get clear on their mission and vision. And if it's really real to them, measure your success. And and we see so many companies not doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. You nailed it. I mean, there was so much performative allyship. In 2020. And then when you went back, I'm part of an organization called Hugh, who actually released a report last year and looked at, okay, I have all these companies who were making these promises of what they were going to do. The majority didn't actually follow through on any of them. And that's because it wasn't sincere, right? It didn't come from, we truly believe in this, or this is our purpose. It came from, we want to look good. We don't want any backlash. We don't want to get canceled or anything like that. Like a reaction. Exactly. Right. When it's, reactionary as opposed to being endemic to your DNA, that's when you can see the difference, right? 
And I wholeheartedly believe, and we proved this out, even, you know, at Welcome Company, is that when you stay true to who you are and you follow through on your purpose and you show up that way, and I hate to use the word authentic, it's so overused, but you show up true to yourself, the business will follow, the customers follow. When we basically shifted most of our marketing away from what we had traditionally planned and started saying, okay, how are we going to support consumers through COVID, right? Okay, we're going to do this partnership to donate to barbershops and beauty salons because they have to close down. And so we're donating to this fund to support them through this hard time. We're donating to this all black boys school to give them laptops so that they can keep learning from home. And then I said, mentioned the mental health. We were doing all of these things, right? Purpose-driven marketing, cause marketing, whatever you want to call it. And we had the best quarter in the company's history. Not doing any of the traditional, hey, just ignore everything what's going on. I'm just going to put out my usual, here's an ad for my deodorant. Here's an ad for this. Like when we were doing all of that social good, the buzz that we got from it, people looked at us and was like, oh, I need to buy, I need to support this brand because they're doing the right thing by my community. And so it pays, right, to do the right thing. But I feel like so many companies haven't picked up on that yet. I agree. It does pay to do the right things because you see it in how consumers choose to spend their dollars more now than ever before. More now than ever before, consumers want to spend dollars with brands that align to their values, their beliefs, and what they stand for. So 100% agree with you on that point of it. As a marketer, as Eric touched on, you've had a wonderful career in marketing, working for some awesome brands. Obviously, you're at Square now. What excites you about the future of marketing, brand marketing? Yeah, I'm excited because I feel this focus on purpose-driven marketing is picking up steam. And I think it's partly because of what happened right with COVID and and companies realizing that they need to stop thinking about themselves and think more about their customers and consumers. That excites me because I feel like it opens so many doors and there's just so many places you can go. The other thing that excites me, which probably sounds a little bit weird, but like with all of the privacy concerns and you know, people talk about the death of the cookie and what does this mean for how we're going to target market? To me, that challenge just means innovation, right? And so I'm excited for what's going to come up to solve some of these challenges that we face that's going to you know, sort of change the trajectory of how we market. Are people going to start monetizing their personal information, right? Because we can't just rely on cookies to get it for free. Is that the future, right? Where consumers are like, you want to find me, then you're going to have to pay for me. I have no idea. But I feel like we're at this point where so much is changing and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm excited to see. But that's why I fell in love with marketing in the first place. It felt like it was never boring and every day mm-hmm. was different. And there's always so much growth and innovation and change and just be a successful marketer, you've got to remain at the forefront of that. And for someone like me who gets bored really easy, that's just why this is the perfect career path for me. We're going to take a short break and hear from our special sponsor. We're hanging out with Rob Bueller, founder of Bueller.tech. Rob, how are you? Welcome. I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. Listen, Bueller.tech is growing. Rob, Tell us, what is the core concept behind Beeler.tech? Yeah, it's clear to us that community is greater than complexity. And we believe that if we work together, we can make digital media and digital advertising a better business to be in. We think about that at the individual level, the department level, and even at the publisher level, and anyone that wants to support that concept. I love it. That's so cool. And I love the word that you said, community. 
Can you talk about the ways that you help the community? Yeah, I mean, we try to connect people with other people and create conversations. And sometimes those conversations are events, roundtables, Slack conversations, right? The key is to move things forward. And one thing I wanted to share with your audience is we like to create speaking opportunities. And Mm -hmm. we think that speaking in front of an audience is a key skill set people need to advance their careers, which is why we love the Minority Report, because you highlight new voices. And we really support that concept. Thanks a lot, Rob. And thanks for always being such a great supporter of the podcast over the years. Your support means a lot. So everyone, please be sure to check out www.beeler.tech. And now back to the podcast. That's awesome. And especially that approach of innovation, right? Innovation, people don't realize a lot of times that there's never this sort of light bulb moment where just innovation happens. So boom, it's done, right? It's a series of challenges, question marks, unknown, right? Stepping stones, things you have to work through. That's what innovation really sort of looks like. I think that's really exciting and refreshing to hear that perspective. Tia, you've talked about career moves and how to sort of climb up, step up, and then also make sure you take advantage of the right opportunities, not just any opportunity, right? Carl and I talk a lot with guests about you know, when that door is open, you got to step through it, right? It's not just about the door yeah. sort of being opened. And I want to ask you a little bit about what you share around being intentional in your next career stop. What does that mean? And yeah. can you share that with the audience about being intentional in your next career stop? Yeah, I treat my career like a chess game. It's <laughs> like you're always thinking five moves ahead, five steps ahead. And, and I've been that way my entire career, right? I know the end game, right? The end goal of where I'm trying to get to. And so now let me think very strategically about what are the moves and the steps I need to take to get there. And so that's what I mean by being intentional. It is really easy to get sidetracked. Someone may offer you a promotion and maybe it's over here. So it would divert you a little bit from your path or a job wants to pay you a ton of money, but it's not going to help you grow your skill set to get to that end goal. And so you just have to be intentional about what is most important to you, right? So for me, I've turned down higher paying jobs and I've turned down promotions when I didn't see it as getting me toward my end goal, right? And that's why I say it's like a game of chess, right? You have to know your opponent's going to do something here that may trick you to going off track. It's like, no, 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 no. I know the moves I need to make mm-hmm. to get to checkmate. And so that's just how I've approached it. So every move I've made, with the exception, there's maybe been one on one or two on there was like, oh, made a mistake, but I learned from it. But for the most part, it was very intentional about this role is going to help you to get this skill set or this experience, which is going to set me up for this next move that I plan to make a few years down the road, which will set me up for this move. My career is not an accident. I think Mm -hmm. some people loved it. And some people may be, hey, that's great. Maybe they just got lucky and fell into different positions. But mine, it was always very planned. And that's just because that's how I've approached my whole life. You can talk to me as a kid in middle school and I was mapping out, okay, and this is what I'm going to do in high school and this is how I'm going to treat college. And this is like, that's just how yeah. I, how I, I was just going to ask you, Tia, like, where do you think you learned that from? I honestly don't know. Like I've always wanted to be an overachiever. I was that kid. We all knew those kids in school, the, the overachiever, teacher's pet, the annoying one. That was me. And, you know, people ask like, oh, was it your parents? Were they pushing that? Like, no, my parents were supportive, loving, they encouraged me to achieve because they knew I could, but it wasn't like something that they were forcing me to do. It's just been something that has been in me from childhood. 
I tell people this story and, and sometimes they don't believe me. So I have to send them a picture. I found this assignment that I did in the seventh grade where I had to write out my autobiography of how I thought my life would go. Mm. And I found this later in my thirties and I was like, holy crap, I did almost everything that I said that I was going to do in this, in this autobiography that I wrote in the seventh grade. Like, okay, I'm going to go to high school and I'm going to skip a grade. I'm going to graduate high school in three years. Yep. And I'm going to be valedictorian. Yep. And I'm going to go to college and major in chemical engineering. Yep. You know, I'm going to get an MBA. I don't even know how I knew what an MBA was. This is you when you're I mean? like, I need to get the perfect frame for this. I need to. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, like, Eric, like, I'm thinking Pia needs to come over and talk to our kids. Yeah, this is, good. this is good. I'm, I've written this down. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to. Here's the thing. The thing I would tell young Tia now, I had to learn, though, I had to break some of those habits because when you're going that hard, when do you have any balance and when do you rest? Now, mm. Hence why I talked about my relaxing you know, honeymoon. And I'm very intentional now about, okay, it's great to have these plans and these goals, but give yourself some grace. Because mm. I would say that I worked myself to death, you know, high school, college, grads, because I was so focused. Mm. And now I've learned the importance of balance yeah. in life. What's that like? Is there truly a balance? It's different for everybody, but what's your experience yeah. been like? Is there a work-life balance? It is different for everyone, right? Mm. So I don't have kids. I'm 40 years old. I just got married. So I was very focused on my career as we've talked about. And so I was going 100 miles per hour all the time. But one of the things that I had to realize, and my husband helped me with this even before we get married, is like, no one ever dies wishing they had worked more. And so making the choice to be like, I will put forth this much effort and this much hours, and I will kill it at work, but I will no longer give work all of me and all of my time. Right. And so now when I go on vacation, I don't work. I used to work when I'm on my vacation. I don't know how you can call it a vacation if you're taking your laptop and working, but I used to do that. And now I refuse. And I also am intentional about, hey, I'm shutting down at a certain time every night so I can sit down and enjoy dinner. That's not something I would do before. So it's all about prioritizing and then setting the expectation. Right. So there were companies where they were used to me, oh, Tia's just going to work. 70 hours a week and you train them to expect that and so if you pull back then they think well wait what's wrong now you're under delivering so mm. it's about you know resetting expectations about hey this is what i'm going to do this is what i'm willing to do you are still going to get the best of me but you no longer will take over my life and so that looks different for everyone but i encourage everyone to stand up for yourself and and push for the balance that's right for you can I ask you a follow-up question to that one? And I love the advice that you're giving right now, right? I feel like, though, if a younger listener who is very early in their career, entry-level position, trying to get to where you are today, right? They may say, that's great because, you know, you're established, but I'm 20-something years old, entry-level. I'm trying to prove myself. I don't know if I could really not work nights or evenings or... What would you say to that person? What advice would you give to them about work-life balance, if you will? Yeah, and I would give that person the same advice I wish I had given myself because I hear what they're saying because mm -hmm. that was me. I felt like, well, hey, I have to work till 1 a.m., 2 a.m. every night because I've got to show that I'm a rock star. But then thinking about well, what are the experiences and things that I missed out on because I did that, right? One of the things that I love about, especially like the younger generation coming up, I think they're getting that 
life is about more than just work and that they are trying to force these organizations to work around their needs. And you're seeing organizations change to meet those expectations. And so I would say never be afraid to stand up for yourself. Because when I first came to the realization that I wanted to do less, I was a senior brand manager at Kellogg's. And I literally went to my boss and said, I can't do this anymore. This is just unsustainable for me. I was like, I love this job. I love the work. And I know I'm giving you the best that I have, but I'm also draining myself. And she was super understanding. She was like, wow, I can't believe you actually you know, came to tell me this. I was like, yeah, I had to, right? Because I really want to shift my life priorities. It's like, hey, I do want to get married at some point. You know, I do want to have a family. And if all I'm doing is working, that's never going to happen. And I would say, if you had that conversation as a younger person and your boss or your company doesn't understand, then that may not be the right place for you. And I 100% mean that because if a company doesn't value you as a whole individual and all they see you is as an employee who's going to work, then that may not be the place you want to be. And I feel like if companies are still operating under those mindsets, then they're going to lose out on the best talent. So I'm not saying don't work hard. Of course, you're going to work hard. You want to learn. I'm just saying find the balance that makes sense for you, right? At 25, when I didn't need sleep, you know, and I want to work long hours because I love it, that's great. If at 25, hey, I'm willing to work my 40, 50 hours, but I also have a side hustle, that's great too. There are companies and opportunities that will allow you to create the balance that you want. And it's just about finding that place that's the right fit for you. That's great. Tia, I want to ask you a little bit about as you've climbed as a leader in your career, you've talked a little bit about the dilemma that Black senior leaders face in the workplace. Can you share a little bit of that with our audience and talk about that? Yeah, it was always so important for me when I became an executive that I looked back and pulled up others with me, right? I never wanted to be that Black executive who I have known and most of us have probably seen who once they get there, they're like, well, I'm the only one and I don't really care to help anyone else. And then you balance that with, okay, I want to help and bring other people up with me. But then how are other leaders at the company looking at me is like, oh, is she only helping and only only bringing in more Black people and only helping, you know, mentor other Black people? You sometimes can get caught up and worried about what other people think. And I had to tell myself, but why? Why am I sweating that? Why do I care? Like, Mm -hmm. white people aren't worried about that. So why should I? I've got to do what I can to open the door as wide as possible to get more people through here. And so once I got over that concern, I was like, I'm going to hire who I think is the best talent. But the difference is I'm going to ensure that I'm looking at diverse talent to begin with, right? Because oftentimes, Mm -hmm. you know, come and say, oh, we're going to hire whoever's best for the role, but they're not even looking to include diverse talent in the slate. So how are you saying that you're doing that when you're not being inclusive to begin with? So I'm ensuring that everyone who I look at that I've got diverse people being in consideration. I'm mentoring. I'm giving advice to other people, both rock stars and those who aren't necessarily rock stars to help. I take it very seriously. And I spend a lot of time, maybe too much time doing that just because I feel an obligation to ensure that a lot more people follow me to the executive ranks because there are still way too few of us, way too few. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, definitely. And, And Eric and I talk about that a lot. That's one of the reasons why we started this podcast is because when we were coming up early in our career, we didn't see many people that look like us in Mm -hmm. senior positions that we could reference. And so 
Yeah, I hear you. Same experience in terms of spending a lot of time trying to mentor people, but it's worth it. That's part of, for me personally, where I draw some of my inspiration from. And I want to ask you that question. Where where do you draw inspiration from? Yeah, I do too, right? It's so fulfilling to be, to talk to, you know, this younger talent and I love sort of being a beacon for them, but I get just as much inspiration from them as they get from me. But, you know, I also get inspired by looking at other Black leaders just killing it. Like, it makes me feel good. And it's like, yes, we are out here. So I get inspiration when I look at people like Bozema St. John and how she shows up as her full self, her full true self everywhere she goes. I love that. I get inspiration from the organizations I'm a part of, like you, right? Which are really focused on creating and bringing more diverse marketing talent to the workforce. I love that too. Those are probably a lot of the main places where I go that sort of keep me motivated, that keep me inspired, especially as it relates to just being, you know, a Black executive marketer. And earlier you touched on the work-life balance, obviously, and giving advice, especially to entry-level or junior-level folks. What other advice would you have for that young Black woman coming out of college looking to get into marketing? Yeah, I would say network. That's something I learned later in my career. But I say that now because I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, like a lot of people are. And I get a zillion messages from oftentimes, you know, young Black marketers wanting to chat. And if I see the message, I'm likely going to say yes and take time to talk to you because you took the initiative and you had the courage to reach out to me to ask for 10, 15 minutes of my time. I can do that. And so I would always say, reach out to people who you know, who you don't know, and ask for time to see how you can learn. I think this whole info view thing is underutilized, especially when you think about marketing, which is such a broad term. It can mean so many different things. And I have people reach out and say, oh, I want to work in marketing. And I'm asking, okay, well, like, what is it about marketing or what area of marketing? And they don't know because they haven't taken the time. And so that sounds like you just need to have some more conversations. You need to talk to someone who's in PR, talk to someone who's at a creative agency or a media agency or someone who's a brand manager or so on and so forth. And so that's the biggest thing is I'd say, spend more time talking to people to learn about the different facets of marketing to understand what is it that you're actually interested in and where do you want to go with it? So that's probably the biggest piece of advice that I would say. And then the other thing I would say is do what you can to sort of get in the door to start learning. Where you start doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be where you'll end up. And I find so many times people have, oh, I don't want to, that's not what I want to do. That's not, well, you don't know if you haven't even had the opportunity yet to work in marketing. Take the opportunity to learn, get some experience. And you know what? No, this isn't right for me. Then I can move to something else. Like that's something that I've also done in my career is tried new things or taken the opportunity to gain a skill set to work at a particular company. And if it wasn't right, okay, then I can move. And I think that's that's the way I've always approached it. Like everything doesn't have to be permanent. If I think that there's a real growth or learning opportunity, let me go after that. And I think that's a piece of advice that younger talent might need to hear. It goes back to putting together that plan and sticking to it, like you said earlier, right? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. All right, Tia, fun question that I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast. 
give us the top three apps that you use on your phone, but you can't Ooh. name email or calendar or text messaging because everyone uses those and they <laughs> are too boring. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So probably okay, Instagram is definitely. I waste way too much time on social media. I just imagine how much more productive I, or how many more things I could do. I could learn another language if I spent less time. We're, it's, it's R&D. It's R&D. That's how I sell it, right? I'm a marketer. I have to be on social media. There you go. Um, that's, that's crazy. The next one people are going to find funny is DoorDash. I don't really cook. I'm lucky I married someone who did. So that's great now. But I still order from DoorDash most days of the week. I'm definitely one of their top customers. Literally every day, I'm probably using DoorDash. Different places or you got a favorite restaurant? No, different places. Right. It just okay. depends on what I'm in the mood for. Right. Um, but yes, heavy, heavy DoorDash. And I, I prefer DoorDash over all of the other ones. And then the third one that I use, it's probably a tie. So there's like a boring one, like, cause I check like AccuWeather every day. I'm one of those people, like, I just need to know what's the weather today. Even if I'm not going outside, I know that's really weird, but so it's a tie probably between AccuWeather and LinkedIn. Cause like I said, I am mm-hmm. really active on LinkedIn. Like I almost use it like news to, to see what's going on in the business world or see what people are posting. Crawl doesn't tell a lot of people, but you're allowed to have a fourth. Yeah. It's okay. Oh. Yeah, fourth. Yeah, that's a good one. Then the fourth, the other one. Yeah, so those are tied. But then the other one probably after that would be TaskRabbit. Like there's things things I need to get done and I don't have the time to do them. So TaskRabbit is great at letting me find someone to do some of these little errands and things that I need done, like maybe cleaning my house. I have a friend who is a sneakerhead and some really popular sneakers are coming out one year and he paid TaskRabbit to stand in line for him. Stand in line. <laughs> I tell you, it's a brilliant service. A brilliant service. The personal assistant we all want. There you go. Social media R&D, task-focused, business news, and get that food. I mean, I like that it. Food. That's it. That's all we need. <laughs> Tia, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for hanging out with us. I know a lot of our audience would love to reach out and just sort of stay in touch or maybe communicate with you. So what are some great ways that our audience can reach out? Yeah, like I said, LinkedIn, feel free to send me a message or a connection request. I'm usually very responsive. My Instagram is also public. So feel free to check out my page, drop me and slide my DMs, as they say. Those are probably the two best ways. Excellent. Thank you so much, Tia, for hanging out with us. And thanks again to our friends at Beeler Tech for sponsoring this podcast and supporting conversations like these. It means a lot. Beeler Tech, activating powerful connections and conversations. In the digital advertising and media world, Beeler Tech is your connection to what's possible. Please check out our friends at Beeler.tech. Thanks again for listening. And you can find more of our episodes where you find all of your audio and video, just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks, Tia. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. This was fun.